Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Good to see you guys. Thank you for being here with us today. Welcome to Cornerstone. Man, if you're in Scottsdale, Santan right now, thank you guys for being out there serving with us. Overflow. Yeah, thank y'all for being back there with us as well. And if you're back tonight at 5 p.m. or watching online, thank you guys for being a part of what God is doing here. Some cool, cool things are happening. I get the privilege today of kind of just walking you through something that's been on my heart. So um, I think it's going to be a little bit fun, might be a little scary. So I, I don't know, man, stretch. We're going to have to go quick because I think we got a lot to do in a little bit of time. Um, I, I'm getting old and many people are like, hey, Tim, what's going on up top? What are you doing right now? Um, I don't know. I think I'm in a midlife crisis. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's happening. Um, I, I think, seriously, I, I think I'm about to have that midlife like shakedown. And, and I'm at the point where I'm looking at my kids going, man, what am I going to give these guys? And I picked the wrong profession to give them wealth. Um, so I'm like, man, y'all going to be broke. <laughs> Here's two bucks. That's it. I, I don't know what to, what am I going to pass down to my kids? Man, parents, do you think about this? What, what am I going to leave my kids with? What, what am I going to do with them? And, and so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. And, and I've decided this. I want to leave my kids a legacy of loving people. Like I want to teach my kids what it means to love people. Yeah, I do. Because seriously, I, I, I'm not going to leave them money. Um, my car is going to be broke down by the time we get there. They're not going to want the house. I, I got nothing to give them other than love. And, and so I want to show them how to love other people. But the more I like try to teach them this, the more I realize something. Man, people are hard to love. How do you love cowboy fans? Like, what do you do with that? How do you? <laughs> how, how? Some people are really, really hard to love. So I'm like, man, how do we, how do we work through this? God, if I'm supposed to love people, how, how do I do it? And then I, I'm reading and, and I come across, it, it's sometimes known as the 11th commandment. I, I come across this, it's in John 13. And it's where Jesus is kind of at the end of what he's doing. He's about to be taken off and to be arrested and he's about to be put to death. And, and all of that's about to happen. And so he's sitting with his friends. He's drawn his closest buddies, man, his, his best friends for life, his posse is right there in a the room with them. And he's just like, I got one thing left. I've got to teach you guys before I go. And, and this is it. And he, and he says this to him. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now, outside of the most redundant sentence in history, what is he talking about? Seriously, I mean, Jesus is, is like, hey, I'm going to give you guys a new commandment. But that's not a new commandment. Like, that's old school. That's straight up Old Testament Leviticus where it says that we're supposed to love people. That, that's not anything new. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment, though. He's like, man, that's good. Love people. But you ready? It's about to be revolutionary. Love them the way that God loves you. You see, that's a new commandment. Because before it was just love people. And now Jesus is like kicking it up a notch. And he's like, man, love them the way that I love you. And if you do this. The world is going to know that you're my disciples. And that's nuts if you think about it, because the world's not going to know that you're my disciples because your theology is on point. They're not going to know you're my disciples because you help more homeless people or because you're more, you're more giving than everybody else. You're not going to know that, that you're my disciples because you do all of these things. They're going to know that you belong to me by how you love each other. And that's all you got to do. That's the command. If you're a parent, though, you get this. You understand that there's no power in the command. The power is in the execution. Right, parents? Because we tell our kids to do something, and then about four months later, and they got like eight stages of penicillin, and it's a Stranger Things episode growing under their bed. The problem wasn't what we told them to do. 
It was the execution. So how do we love people the way that Jesus loves us? Think, think with me for a minute. Because we all have them. That one person that's just like nails on a chalkboard. Like, man, I can love everybody but this person right here. Ooh, I want to love them with my car. Like, I just want to... Oh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Picture them in your head. And if they're beside you, don't look at them. Because <laughs> I ain't breaking up no fights this morning. That person that's just hard to love. How do you love them? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Love the easy people. That, that's great, definitely. But how do you love... How do you love the difficult people? What if I could give you a cheat code? What if I could give you like a loophole that could teach you how to love people the way that Jesus loves people, but it's actually doable? If I were to say this, how many people know what I'm talking about? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA start. Where are we at? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Contra, baby, that's right, because there's this great game growing up called Super Contra, and it was impossible to beat because the levels were so difficult, and it was a sick game. You're this great big dude with a gun, and you shot everything. It was so much fun. Past level four, it was impossible. And then my buddy was like, Tim, before you start it, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. You type that in on the controller, infinite lives, and the game became beatable. What if I could give you a cheat code that could make loving the unlovable doable? Grab your Bibles. Let's go. Luke 10. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And, and maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I am just old and senile. But I honestly think loving people the way that Jesus loves us is possible. I think it's doable. And I think we can do it. And we may have to cheat a little bit to get there. But for those of you who follow all the rules, don't stress because we're cheating according to the Bible. So it still works out somehow. So just cut me some grace. It's straight from God's word. I know we're cheating, but... Take a breath. It'll be all right. Find me afterwards. I'll give you a hug. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. Let, let's read through this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and that's a really good question because it doesn't matter where you're at right now. We've all had this thought. We're like, man, if there is something else, what do I have to do to get it? If there is an afterlife, what do I have to do? Man, how do I get that? That's what he's, where he's at. Jesus answers this in verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, so get this, get this picture kind of rolling in your head. You've got a Jewish scholar. This is, this is a guy who has studied the Bible. He studied Old Testament text and scripture since he was a kid. Since he was a little bitty boy, he's memorized books that we have in the Old Testament. He sat down and studied these things and now he's a, he's a professor basically. He's a scholar of the Bible. And he walks into Jesus and most likely there's a ton of people around him because he's trying to test and he's trying to trip Jesus up just a little bit. And so he asks him this great question. Hey, what do I have to do to, to get eternal life? And so Jesus does what Jesus does because he's smart. He's like, I don't know. You read the Bible. You tell me. What do you have to do? And the guy goes, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus is like, dude, what are you asking me for? You already know. Go do it. And then the guy gets it. And I don't think he's a bad guy. Like, I don't think the scholar's a jerk. I just, I think he's like us, right? Because if we're supposed to love God the way that he loves us, how do I love this dude? How do I love that guy that, that's hard to love? How do, I got, how do I love my neighbor 
with the chihuahua that non-stops at like 2 a.m. How, how do I love them? How do I love mother-in-law? How, how's that? How do I love... How do I love this person, Jesus? Because loving you is easy. Loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. That, that's, man, I got that down because you love me and I don't understand it, but I, I kind of get it. So loving you is easy, but how do I love this dude that's so hard to love? I mean, he's a jerk. Jesus, have you hung out with him? Sit with him for five minutes and you'll see, you'll, like you'll kill him or something because he's hateful. God, how do I love him? That's where this guy's at. And typical Jesus, and I love this about God, because this guy asked Jesus a question, and instead of just answering it, Jesus does what Jesus does, and he goes, oh, story, let's go, sit down, boys. And, and he just rolls into this great story. So this guy asks, How do I, who's my neighbor? So Jesus' response is verse 30. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, just as a heads up, you got a guy who's traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Most likely, it's implied right now that this is a Jewish man. Because Jesus is in front of a Jewish congregation, and he's speaking about this guy who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which would be basically the I-10. So he's traveling something that we've all traveled at least once. He's, he's making this journey that we've all done. He's on this road that we all travel. It's most likely a Jewish person. He gets mugged on the way. And it's not just a normal beat down. It's not like, hey, give me your watch. It's a beat down where you're left naked. If you get mugged where you lose your wallet, your watch, and your clothes, dude, you got mugged. Like that's a whole nother level of beat up. And he's left on the side of the road bleeding and left for dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And, and again, the, the Jewish congregation in this, when Jesus says, and a priest strolls up, I, I can just see the priest being like, getting their robes all good and being like, yeah, a priest rolled up. And Jesus is like, yeah, but then he passed on the other side. And they're, oh, wait a second, what? <laughs> and again, we don't know what the priests are doing. I mean, maybe they were late for service. I mean, how weird would that be? Seriously, guys, how weird would that be? Music ends, Lynn's supposed to walk out. And there's nothing because there's a dude with a flat tire a couple miles back that Lynn's helping. I mean, that would be great, but how weird would that be for you? So maybe this dude is just busy. Maybe it's like bingo night at their church and he didn't want to miss. Maybe they're hosting all sons and daughters and he's like, dude, I got to get back. He, he, maybe there's something really, we don't know. All we know is the story. A priest rolls up who should help somebody in need. And instead of helping, he walks to the other side and keeps on going. 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, Levite, um, that's not a pair of jeans. That, that's a tribe of people. I didn't want to mess you all up. Some of y'all are like, Levites? No, a Levite, different. A Levite was someone who grew up in the church and was trained from a very, very young age how to serve the priest. His job would, would be to, to work around the temple, to do anything that the priest needed. His job was to serve. His job would then to be to go out and to find people in need and to help them. He would be what we have here with the people who help you park your car when it's 200 degrees outside and they sit out there and sweat like crazy to make sure that you've got a space. That, that, that would be kind of the same thing as a Levite. The people who greet you when you come in the door or serve you coffee, that, that would be kind of a, what we would think of maybe as a Levite. And the Levite who's been trained to go and find people who's in need and to go and to help them, right? Man, that would be the one who would save the guy who's beat up on the side of the road. But no, he goes to the other side and keeps on stepping too. 33, but a Samaritan. And, and right there, the whole room would have shut off. Samaritan. Oh, no, you didn't. No, 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 no. Hold up. Back the truck up. A Samaritan? 
You, you see, Jewish culture hated Samaritans. And I don't know if, if I mean, you've probably heard that a, a whole lot. I don't know if you know why. Um, when, when Jerusalem was attacked and destroyed earlier, much earlier in the, in the Jewish history, um, Assyria came in and destroyed Jerusalem. That's when people like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, David, I'm sorry, not David, Daniel, those guys were taken away in captivity. And what was left was a group of Jewish people in Jerusalem, but Assyria put in a whole number of people from their land into Jerusalem to populate it. And what happened over time was the Assyrian nation came in, the Jewish culture, they, brothers and, I mean, the, the sons and daughters fell in love, um, not with each other because that's gross, but sons from the Jewish culture and daughters from the, make sure that's straight, from the Assyrian culture fell in love and they, they had kids, those were Samaritans. So the Jew, the true Jews would look at Samaritans as half-breeds. They would look at them as traitors because these people gave up their Jewish culture and lived with this Assyrian, these group of people that came in and attacked and destroyed your, your homeland. How could you love them? So Samaritans were, were despised. They were the lowest of the low. They were the filth. They were trash. They were the worst people on the planet. And, and Jesus is like, so a priest shows up, doesn't really do anything. A Levite shows up, doesn't really do anything. But then a Samaritan. And this Jewish crowd in that moment would have been like, Samaritan? Oh, he's, he's going to mug him. He, he's, I mean, that's going to be their first thought. But verse 30, or 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then put, him, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. It says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. And then Jesus does what Jesus does, because he takes a question he turns it into a story, and then he flips the question on this guy. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Because you see, this dude went in saying, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers the question, not with who was the, or who is the neighbor. He asks the question, who was the neighbor? And he's put this guy in an incredible spot because it's obvious that the priest who walked around wasn't a neighbor. It's obvious that the Levite who did nothing at all wasn't the neighbor. It's obvious that the person that they hate the most was the neighbor. And so he forces him into this. And so the guy responds in 37. The expert of the law replied, and he can't even say Samaritan. Look at how he words it. The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus, Jesus tells him, go, do likewise. Now that, that's, where we, you should, that's where we should end, right? That's where we should end the service because we should pray because that's the end of the story. You help your neighbor out. That's what you're supposed to do. And so right now we're going to pray and everybody close your eyes, bow your heads, and I'm going to say amen. And somehow during that whole mix, we're going to go out of here and we're actually going to go and help people. No, that'd be nice. But if the power was in the commandment, the world wouldn't be so screwed up. It's not in the command. The power is in execution. Jesus ends this whole little story with, all right, go, do likewise. How? Because if this religious leader in this moment knows what Jesus is talking about, he knows that Jesus is not just talking about this one person. He's saying that every day, all day, 24, seven, 365 days a year, every day you wake up, you go out and you love your neighbor. You love the person who's hurting every single day. You wake up and bat a thousand. And this guy is doing what probably most of us are doing. And we're like, how is that possible? You, you, you can't do that. To which Jesus would reply, yeah, you're right. You can't do that. Now go do it. <laughs> and then the story ends. And we don't have a clue what happens. We don't know what this guy does. Most likely, the Jewish leaders, the priests, the Levites, and the other Jews who are in the area, most likely they got up and were like, one more thing. Man, I should have stayed home. 
I got one more. Do you ever feel like that when you leave church? I got one more thing now that I got to do. I got to stop listening. Man, one more thing. Come on. Why can't it be easy? I, that's all I need. I got, now I got to do this too. Oh, come on. That, that's probably what they did, but we don't know. This guy may have got up and been like, man, all right, that makes sense. I'm going to give it a shot. He may have got up and said, nah, that ain't going to happen, dude. I guess I'm going to go play Pokemon Go or something. That ain't going to work. Jesus, sorry. We don't know what he does because the story ends. But it's interesting to me that Luke instantly goes into what seems like the next day. He instantly goes in from the story with, with the Good Samaritan, with the story of go and do likewise, and he follows it up with, with this story. And I think this is the cheat code right here to how to do this. Look in verse 38. It says, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Where are my old siblings at? You're the oldest in the house. Doesn't this sound just like your little brothers and sisters? Something happens, you do all the work and they just sit there. I know that's true because I'm the baby. <laughs> and I remember, I remember you could work the system when mom would say to get something done. They would, because they're older and smarter, they would jump to get hurry and do it. And if you could waste some enough time, by the time it needed, they were, they were done. And Martha's sitting there, right? And, and think this through for just a second. Jesus is coming to your house. Tell me you're not going to go home in dust. Dude, you're going to clean under the refrigerator behind the man. You're going to be pulling out the stove, dusting back. You're going to, and then you're going to cook the best meal that you have. It doesn't matter if it's mac and cheese or a bowl of cereal, whatever you cook better than anything, that's going to be prepared for when Jesus, when he gets there, it's going to be ready. And so Jesus is coming to Mary and Martha's house and he's not coming just to hang out and to watch the game. He's coming to teach. And so Jesus walks into Mary and Martha's house and he's just speaking wisdom. He's just being Jesus. And Mary sits down and starts listening. And I, I, I really believe this, not just because I'm the baby, but I really believe this. I think that she loses track of time. It's not that she's waiting for Martha to do all the work. I think that what she's hearing from Jesus is so revolutionary. She forgets everything that's going on around her and she can't take her eyes and her ears off of Jesus. And so Martha rolls in and typical big brother, big sister, she rolls in and Mary's sitting right there where she could just go, Mary, get up and help me. But she doesn't. She goes, Jesus, make her get up and help me. Come on. Do you see this? I'm, I'm busting my tail here. And she's just sitting, Jesus, do something. Give her leprosy. Make her do something right now. Come on. It's ridiculous. She does this all the time. Come on. And Jesus's response. If you go back to the last story would be what? Mary, get up and go do something. But look at what he says in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Now, if, if you read these two back to back right there, it kind of looks like they contradict each other, doesn't it? I mean, because you've got Jesus telling this religious leader, hey, go and do, go do likewise, go find people in need and go and help them, man, get up and go do. And then just seconds later, you've got Jesus with Mary and Martha and Martha's like, man, God, will you make her help? And Jesus looks at Mar Martha and basically says, she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. In fact, you should stop being so busy and you could, you should sit down and listen yourself. How do you go from go do to just sit down and quit and be still? 
It's the cheat code. You get how we learn to love other people and to help people in need is by spending time at the feet of Jesus. And if we don't spend time at the feet of Jesus, we're never going to be able to show Jesus to anybody else because you know this is true. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we've, man, we put God in our lives, he just comes out. And when that person comes up that's hard to love, it just happens naturally. You don't have to think about it. I don't think the Samaritan, when he was walking down the tin and he saw the guy beat up on the side of the road, I honestly don't think that he saw that and thought, oh, nuts. Man, I got 10 minutes. Um, I think I got 20 bucks. I get paid Friday. All right, yeah, I can help him. It'll be okay. That's not what happened. He walked by, saw the need, and instantly went over there because he spent time with Jesus. Let, let me... Let me see if this helps. You understand the characters in the story of the Good Samaritan, don't you? You know who the Samaritan is. That, that's Jesus. The Samaritan, the person who is despised and hated by, by the world, that's Jesus. The, the, the person who was, was hated by everybody else that went over to the person in need, that was Jesus. You know who the person in need is? That's me. Because this world and the sin and the stupid choices that I make has left me beaten, bruised, and naked on the side of the road, helpless and hopeless. And without, without anything to look forward to and struggling for survival. And, re, and I don't know if you caught it, but religion did absolutely nothing for me. Except walk by on the other side and make me feel guilty. And it couldn't do anything. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes over and takes care of me and doesn't just take care of me. Did you see? Took me to the hotel, motel, holiday inn, paid a little extra, kicked it up a notch. He took care of me and he nursed me back to health and he gave me hope and he gave me life. And then it, remember the story? He, he tells the, he tells the innkeeper, Hey, and here's some money, but if that's not enough, I'm going to come back later and I'll take care of whatever else he needs. You take care of him. Make sure he's good. He takes care of me to man to, to ways I don't even understand yet. Why can't I love people like that? You, you understand why the Samaritan was able to do that. He spent time with Jesus. Parents, you, you understand you would be able to love people in your family at a level that you can't even comprehend, not by trying, not by religion, not by acts, but just by spending time with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, it's going to overflow. Let me ask you guys something, and this is, this is a kind of a kick in the face. How much Jesus do you have? Is it survival Jesus or is it overflow Jesus? Survival Jesus is just enough to get you into heaven. And, and it's easy to, this is how you tell where you're at. If you love people who are really easy to love, that's probably survival Jesus because that's easy to do. If you struggle loving anybody else, you probably have survival Jesus. If you're easy to love other people and that, that's not anything that's hard for you, um, then you probably got a little overflow Jesus for you. Can I help you get to overflow Jesus? Spend time with Jesus. That's it. It's so simple. That's the cheat code. That's this whole, that's this whole three to be that, that this church constantly like tells us about. That's why it's printed on the walls out there. That's why we talk about it nonstop. That's worship, grow, serve. You get for us to, to go out and to go do, we've got to spend time at the feet. And listen, Mary was sending, spending time at the feet, listening because she was worshiping and growing because eventually she was going to need to go serve. The Samaritan was able to go and serve because he had spent time at the feet of Jesus. It's so easy that it, it almost is too easy. You, you get if we get out of survival Jesus mode and we get into overflow Jesus mode, that it just happens. 
you don't even realize it. It just, it just happens. You, you understand that I, I believe in Jesus today because of my dad having overflow Jesus? Because my dad, dude, he loved, he loved people at a level I, I still strive to be at. My dad could love anybody. It didn't matter what they looked like, where they were from, what was happening. It didn't matter if he had something crazy busy to do. I saw my dad change tires in a suit um, because somebody's car broke down. I saw my dad push cars out of, out of flooded water before because an old, like shouldn't be able to do it. And out there helping people because he loved people and it attracted me to Jesus. And I met Jesus because of my dad's love for people. And it overflowed. You, guys, you, you get that it just, it just happens. And you wake up 30 years later and, and you've, you become a blessing to the world. And your kids are emulating things that you've done. And they're loving people passionately. They're chasing people who are hurting to help. And bib- bigotry is gone. And racism ends. And it begins with us loving people the way that Jesus loves us. So, again, let, let me ask you, where are you at this morning? Are you with survival Jesus or overflow Jesus? If you're satisfied with survival Jesus, then it's going to be a long life. So take a breath because you're just getting started. If you're sick of survival Jesus and you want overflow Jesus, all it takes is spending time with them. That's why we do all these 9 billion things at this church, man. That's the whole purpose of this women's retreat is so that ladies, you can come and spend time with Jesus and you can worship and you can grow and it's going to cause you to go out and Jesus is just going to come out naturally through you. Men, that's why we have things for you to do. Kids, that's why we have things for you to do. That's why Scottsdale's got things that they're doing. Santan's got things that they're doing. Five o'clock's doing stuff. That's why we're constantly giving you opportunities to come and to worship and to grow because we know that the more time, and check this, the more time that you spend with Jesus the more Jesus just naturally comes out wherever you're at. And the more people see Jesus through you and people know that you belong to Jesus, not because of your doctrine or because you have all the right answers or because you never mess up. They know that you love Jesus because of how you love them. And it drastically changes the world. And the cheat code in it is spend time with Jesus. Parents, are you spending time with Jesus on behalf of your kids? Are you, are you spending time with Jesus on behalf of your kids? Are your kids seeing you love Jesus so much that it's naturally coming out in how you love them? Couples, are you spending enough time with Jesus that you're loving your spouse? Not because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is inside of you. It just naturally comes out. Are you loving your neighbors with overflow? Because of what Jesus has done inside of you. you. You get that we should be talking about this so much. It should be a broken record. Your neighbors should be able to come to you. And you're like, dude, you got to check this out. And we're like, Tim, we know you love Jesus. And you're like, yeah, dude, do check this out. And they know the story better than you do because they've heard it so many times. Because God has done so much. Why don't we tell people? That's worship. That's spending time with Jesus. And that's the overflow that happens. My prayer for us is that this church... That, that this church becomes known as a, a group of people who spend time with Jesus and loves whoever they come in contact with, regardless of what they look like, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of the, where they're at financially, regardless of where they're from, regardless of sin, just because they sin differently. It, it doesn't matter that we love everybody that comes in contact with us because this one truth is going to ring out because of who, who God is inside of us. 
You can't, and this is, this is huge. And this may be the whole reason that you woke up and came here today. You can't out God's grace or his mercy, and you can never out his love. And it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you're involved in right now. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you've done. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't describe who you are. Jesus does. And he loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And you've heard me say this a hundred times, probably to the point where you're like, hey, Tim, this dude, you say this every time. Yep. Guess what I'm going to say next time I get a stage? Exact same thing. I'm going to say that Jesus loves you because every time I pick this book up on every single page from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of Jesus's love for me. It's the story of his love chasing me through all of my sin, through all of my doubt, through all of my anger, through all of my pain, through all of my stupidity and chasing me and not giving up because he desperately, passionately is in love with me. And it's not me because he's in love with you too. Now, why don't we go out of here and love people the way that he loves us? If we're going to, it's got to start with us spending time with them. And it starts with us being dissatisfied with survival Jesus and wanting overflow Jesus. And the truth behind that is going to be how much time you're going to dedicate now to spending time with Jesus. Because the opportunities are there. If it happens, I'm telling you, it's about to get crazy. (laughs) It's going to be so good. Oh, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for, for loving us. God, I thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that this is not something that's just for me. It's not something for, man, this is something for all of us. God, this is something not for people who, who haven't messed up. That this, this love, that this story, that this truth is for anyone with breath right now. God, that this story is for all of us. That the truth, God, behind who you are, the truth that's found in this book is that you have desperately, passionately been in love with us since our very first breath. Since this world began, God, your thoughts have been about us. And you constantly try to remind us by doing things like sunsets and sunrises and and animals, God, that sing out and beautiful music. God, to little babies crying. You do all these crazy things around us to remind us who you are in this desperate plea to just spend time with us. God, would you help us today to not be satisfied with the survival amount of you, to not know just enough to get by? But that we would have a passion, God, that we would have a desire to do whatever it takes, God, to make sure that our kids in everything possible that points towards you, to make sure that we're in every event possible, God, that's going to help us understand more of who you are so that you can overflow through us to the people around us. And God, that the people would, people around us would look at us and know that we belong to you. Jesus, I thank you so much for making this realistic and doable. God, in this moment right now, if there's anyone that's struggling with the fact that you love them, would you just let this truth ring out that that Samaritan, that helped that, that person who was beat up and destroyed on the side of the road, that that, that can happen to each and everybody and to all of us. All it takes is for us to look to you and say, man, Jesus, I need you. And that's the start of where this, this story begins in us. So God, would you help us today to, to get there? And if we're already there, God, would you help us today to walk out of this place loving people the way that you love us and to never be satisfied with what we have of you and to constantly want more to the point that you overflowed around us. So God, use us to show the world who you are. Not because we look good, but because God, it makes you famous. So Jesus, thank you for loving us in spite of us. And God, would you use us to make this place better? And Jesus, we ask this in your beautiful name. Amen.